Now we give a very warm welcome to everyone to our uh, public worship here today, both those in the building here and to those who are joining with us online. Let's begin our worship by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 23. It's page 229 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. He makes me down to lie in pastures green. He leadeth me the quiet waters by. We'll sing the whole song to God's praise. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. Yeah. 
join together in prayer. Let's pray. Eternal God, as we bow before you this day, give us to acknowledge who you really are. Give us to be before you with reverence and a godly fear. We come as sinners this day, but we come not simply because you have invited us to come, but because you have commanded us to come. And if we are honest when we reflect on who we are and what we are, we just want to run and hide. To hide from others. To hide from ourselves if it were possible. And to hide from you if it were possible. But these things are not possible. Because you reveal to us in your word particularly in one of your songs, that you have searched us and you have known us. You know our sitting down and our rising up, ye all our thoughts afar are known to thee. And that can be a very frightening truth. But that's one and the same truth becomes one of the greatest comforts when we close in with Christ and become part of your family because in the rough and tumble of earth's sojourn for your people we at times can feel far away from you and as the psalmist said himself has the Lord forgotten to be gracious yet you never forget you know it all you are, after all, the omniscient God. And on a day like this, as we gather here, we gather with hearts that are heavy, but we also gather with hearts that have hope because of who you are. And at a moment like this, we do give thanks for the long reign of our late Queen. We give thanks for the example she has shown over seven decades in the midst of our own personal difficulties and adversity she has shown not only our own family but the family of nations around the world what it is to maintain dignity and to have a resolute faith in the midst of all the ups and downs of life's journey we pray for all who rule over us whether it be a king or queen and all who hold office of authority we pray that you would remember in particular those who believe in you who struggle because of the day and age we live in O Lord our God our prayer today is to have mercy on us as a nation but not only as a nation, but as nations of this world. Remember others who are mourning the loss of loved ones, whose worlds have collapsed and are torn in their hearts, and 
We cannot see a way ahead. O oh Lord our God, may we remember this, that we are here to worship the King who has conquered death itself. We have just sung ye, though I walk through death's dark veil, yet will I fear none ill. For one reason and one reason only, for thou art with me. Thy rod and staff, me comfort still. We thank thee for the resolute truths that come forth from the whole of Scripture and all of these songs that we sing. We pray that they would give us stability and enable us to endure in this world. Our minds go to Ella MacDonald in hospital at this time as she goes through the last lap of her earthly sojourn. Be a blessing to her and her family. May we all as families trust in you. May we all be together with you in the world beyond this one. And whatever we do in life's journey, may we make sure that our hand is firmly in the hand of the only Saviour of sinners. May that be true of one and all. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. <coughs> now let me say a little bit to the young people. Tomorrow we will mark the funeral of uh, Queen Elizabeth II. A few days ago, our beloved Queen left this world. And you know, we all come across leavings in some kind of way or uh, another. And for this congregation and this community, there have been a lot of leavings recently, some about to happen and some just recently happened. And what I'm talking about is some have gone off to colleges, some have gone off to universities, uh, some have started new trades and uh, traineeships and... uh, Some have gone to school for the first time, and uh, you may not think of that as a leaving, but I can assure you, your mum and dad certainly do. It's a big thing when you go off to school, and it's an even bigger thing when you come home from your parents and you start putting your parents right by telling them, my teacher says... And, uh, you know, for some it's leaving primary school and going off to secondary school, and these are all big steps. They are all about leaving and my guess is this that there will be mums and dads and perhaps grannies and grandpas and maybe others who have a wee pain in the pit of their stomach at the thought of family leaving in some kind of way or another now when people leave to go off to Glasgow and Edinburgh and places like that well that's one kind of pain but when they go off to the other side of the world I can assure you that's another kind of pain and there will be some here who will uh, have that kind of pain as they think of uh, loved ones leaving. I want to say a little bit to those who are leaving and to the parents who have that little bit of pain in their, in, in their stomach, in the, pit of their, in the pit of their stomach. For those who are leaving in any way, shape or form, remember this. You need God. You need God. And... Uh, My hope and prayer is this, that wherever you're going to, whatever the leaving is, 
that you will be trusting in God you need him you need him for this world you need him for the moment you will die and you need him for eternity so whatever else you do make sure you have God make sure you're trusting in Jesus and to the mums and dads and maybe others who have that wee pain in the pit of their stomach you commit your children your loved ones to God that's the best we cannot put our children in cotton wool although much we wouldn't maybe perhaps much like to do it at times you cannot do that you've got to let them go they've got to leave in one way or another and what we've got to do is we've got to turn heavenwards and commit them to this eternal God and my hope and prayer is this for all of the young people of this congregation and this community who are leaving in any kind of way that you'll trust in the Lord and that um, he'll be your guide and stay not just in life's journey but in death itself we've just been singing yea though I walk through death's dark veil yet will I fear none ill we're all going through that every last one of us some will be younger than others but if we have our hand firmly in the hand of Jesus no danger will overwhelm us no danger whatsoever and death will not overwhelm us that's the really really important thing now let's sing again to God's praise this time it's in Psalm number 84 and that's found on page 338 of the Psalter and it's at the beginning of the song Psalm 84 page 338 at the beginning how lovely is thy dwelling place O Lord of hosts to me the tabernacles of thy grace, how pleasant, Lord, they be. We'll sing verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 84. How lovely is thy dwelling place.
Now let's read God's word as we find it in the Gospel according to St. John and at chapter 14. John's Gospel chapter 14 and at the beginning of the chapter. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe in account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me for anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my, my word, and my Father will love him and uh, we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. 
These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Amen. And may God bless to us that reading from his word. Let's join together again in prayer. Let's pray. O Lord our God, as we turn this day to explore your word, we do confess that there are some things in it that are hard to understand. There are other things in it that are so clear it is hard not to understand. But we pray that your spirit, this helper that we have just been reading about, would be in our midst this day to open our eyes that we might see what your truth is. We ask you to be merciful towards us. And we ask you to enable us to live in the way that is spoken of in this passage of scripture if you love me keep my commandments we do realize that our individual peace is bound up with our giving you your place but sometimes there is a raging war going on in our souls between good and evil please have mercy upon us and please enable us to give you your place and we shall reap the rewards in our daily experience we remember Fraser and Tracy in coming days who will get married bless them and bless them in the lives that they set out to live together and bless each and every one of the people represented by this congregation both born and unborn we pray that we would remember one another, that we would support one another, and that we would seek the blessing of God for one another. And so as we turn to the pages of your holy writ this day, please help us. And all we ask is in Christ's name. Amen. Now let's continue to sing together in the same song Psalm 84 page 339 of the Psalter and it's at verse 7 for they so they from strength and wearied go still forward 
unto strength until in Zion they appear before the Lord at length. We'll sing verses 7 to the end of the song. So they from strength unwearied go. to the passage of scripture that we've read in the gospel according to St. John John, uh, John chapter 14 and at the beginning of the chapter let not your hearts be troubled believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if it were not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you 
And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now let's, by God's enabling, seek to explore something of this area of Scripture. I want to say a little bit about three things today. Jesus is here addressing troubled people. I want us to look a little bit at what trouble consisted of. And then I want us to look at what Jesus says to them. He's going to prepare a place for them. And then he says, I will come again. He's coming back to them. So we're going to explore the trouble. We're going to explore his preparing a place. And we're going to explore a little of uh, his coming again uh, to them. And I think it's fairly apt to explore an area of scripture like this at a particular moment in history like this when uh, our beloved queen has departed uh, this life. But it's not just that our beloved queen has departed this life. We are surrounded by death on every side. And there isn't a day goes by but that we are reminded that we are, we are simply pilgrims in this world. We're not here forever. I know that sometimes we have a mindset that thinks that we're going to be here forever, but that's not the way it is. And we won't really need scripture to tell us that a death is coming. It does tell us. But we just need to look around ourselves and we are reminded again and again that this is an avenue we don't really have a choice about bar Jesus coming back to this world for a second time but Jesus is uh, addressing here and we can't go into everything that comes up in these few verses I've read but Jesus uh, is here addressing troubled uh, uh, people and in particular his own disciples And I want to just suggest three things that are troubling them, but to highlight what I believe is the major thing that is troubling them. You know, shortly before Jesus um, went to the cross at Calvary, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he himself was deeply troubled. Do you remember what he said? My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. What does that mean? I think that it means the stresses and the strains that he was under at that moment were such that he knew the fragility of his own humanity and he knew he was close to the edge. Now let's remember this. Our physical frames, our bodies, are subjected to the frailties of a fallen world. And when they give up, that's it. 
And sometimes these physical frames of ours are assaulted and assailed in different ways. It can be another human being that's assaulting and assailing our physical frame. It may be an illness, it may be something else. But right now in the Garden of Gethsemane, there was none of that assaulting or assailing Jesus of Nazareth. There is something else that can cause us to succumb. And that's something of a spiritual nature. We are spiritual beings. Jesus was a spiritual being. He took a true body and a reasonable soul. He was very human. But the pressures and the difficulties of that moment were so enormous that he knew himself he was close to the edge. Now it's not as if that all came to light on Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was burdened with that long before he entered the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew what he was about. And these disciples, they knew what happened in Gethsemane. They knew what happened prior to Gethsemane. They lived as a family unit. And you know, one of the aspects of family is this. When one member of the family is in difficulties or is in trouble... It reverberates around the family circle. That's the way families are meant to operate. There's nothing unusual about that. And that's because God made us in his image. Because, you know, as I said last Lord's Day. Before God ever made anything of this universe. Before a single atom was created or a single creature was created. God existed, but he wasn't a lonely God. Because there was a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they interacted. And there was a great fellowship. And when God makes human beings, he makes us in such a way as that we cannot live as islands. And one of the basic building blocks of society is the family unit. It's God's idea. It's God's idea. And family operates on the basis of interaction and fellowship. And when that is fractured, there are repercussions. But when one member of a family is uh, in difficulties or afflicted, it reverberates. It was exactly the same with the family that was uh, Christ's disciples. And they picked up on a perturbed Jesus. And that disturbed them. That troubled them. Now maybe I should have said before I started that what Jesus is saying here is this. He's not saying to people who are not yet troubled, don't be troubled out there in the future. Don't let things get to you a wee bit further down the road. That's not what he's saying at all. They are already troubled. They are already in deep water. He is addressing people that he knows are deeply troubled. And he's saying, don't be troubled. And he's giving the reasons why they shouldn't be uh, troubled. And you know, if we just stop for a moment and reflect on that, that... uh, For anybody here and elsewhere who are in trouble today, remember this. He knows what you're going through. You know, sometimes 
You know what the difference between sympathy and empathy is? Sometimes when I go to homes and I'm dealing with situations, I express my sympathy. Now that means I am trying to imagine what they are going through. Now that is very, very different from empathy. Because when you are empathizing, you're not saying to somebody, I'm imagining what you're going through. But you are saying, I know what you're going through. Because I've been there. And I have gone through it myself. And that's the way it is with Jesus. He doesn't give us sympathy. He doesn't try to imagine what people are going through. He gives us empathy. He's been there. And he has endured that. And that is a source of succor and comfort for any who are in difficulty and any who are struggling. But it's not just that they observed a troubled Jesus that in turn troubled these disciples. Jesus has informed them that one of them is going to betray him. They were aghast. They could not believe it. But I'm afraid that's part of what being a human being is like. We think we know what we are, and we think we know what our limitations are. We think we know what we might do, and we will most certainly not do, and we get educated on this. I mean, Peter, not in his wildest dreams ever imagined that he would do and say what he did. Not in his wildest dreams. But I think that can apply to all of the disciples. Not in their wildest dreams. Let's leave Judas Iscariot aside just now. Not in their wildest dreams did any of these disciples think for one second that they would all forsake him and flee. But they did to a man. We simply don't know what we're capable of. That's why we have to come trembling before a holy God and say to him each day, be merciful to me and give me what it takes to live in the way that is honouring to you. But it wasn't just a case of all forsaking him. There was something much greater than that. There was uh, one of them going to betray him. And that was deeply disturbing and that was deeply troubling. But the third thing I want to speak about is this, and I think this is the primary reason why these men are really, really uh, troubled. And it's because Jesus has made it very clear to them, I'm leaving you. And they were devastated. They were just devastated with that. They had leaned so heavily upon him for the last three years. He'd been the centre and the core and the focus of everything. They knew that what they were doing and were capable of doing was all wrapped up with who Jesus himself was. And this idea that he's going was just too much for them to bear. It was just too much for them to bear. Now, where was Jesus going to? Well, I think we can say this. He was going to heaven. 
When he said to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise, what did he mean? Well, he didn't mean that his body was going to be heaven, nor did he, in heaven, or nor did he mean that the body of that thief was going to be in heaven. So what on earth did he mean? Well, we aren't just body, we are body and soul, and his soul can be in heaven. While his body's in that tomb, and the soul of the thief can be in heaven, while his body's... Well, wherever it went, I don't know, did they give decency and dignity to the, to the thief or not? I don't know, but he was going to heaven. Now, and how, you know, quite often when I'm in the schools, people say, where is heaven? Well, what I say to them is this, you know, when Jesus left for heaven, he rose up in the air and he disappeared into the clouds. But I don't know where heaven is. And I have to say that because if we're here in Scotland and we say heaven's up there, you will get believers on the other side of the world in Australia and New Zealand and they're pointing in the very opposite direction and they're saying heaven's up there. So where is it? Well, we don't really know. We don't know a great deal about it. But we do know it's where God is. You know, the Bible speaks about three different heavens. One means the atmosphere, the other means space, and the third heaven, that's where God that's where God dwells. And that's where Jesus is going. He's leaving them. And that's the major problem, that's the major source of their trouble. But he says this to them in verse three, and if I go and prepare a place for you. So he's going <coughs> to prepare a place for them now the question is this in what way is Jesus going to prepare a place for these people or indeed for any of his people and I think when we reflect on this question one of the things we have to say is this that it's, the, it's not just the going away of Jesus that's a preparation for his people the whole of his life was about preparing a place for his people. You know, as Jesus was in this world, he never put a... You know, we hear about... I don't know how many times I've heard about the Queen over the last few days. She never put a foot wrong. And I think what people mean by that is this. She never put a foot wrong in her public life. And I don't think she did. I thought she was a remarkable woman. A remarkable woman. And I think she did what she did by grace. I do believe that she believed in the Lord and she trusted in the Lord. And that's where her enabling came from. But she's gone. And she is gone for the exact same reason that one day you and I will be gone. The wages of sin is death she was swallowed up by death because she was a sinner and unlike any other human being whether king, queen emperor president, premier whatever you might come up with he was wholly harmless, undefiled, and separate from sinners. He never put a single foot wrong. And of course that raises a question, well then, why did he die? And that is a very, very good question because 
The sinless don't die. But this is where the great teaching of substitutionary atonement comes to the fore. He died because of your sin and mine if we trust in him. And the whole of his life is a life of spotless living. It's a life of giving to his heavenly father everything that the heavenly father ever wanted from him. He gave it to him. But he didn't just give it to his heavenly father. This is the astonishing thing. And you couldn't make up a truth like this. You could not make it up. We wouldn't dare make it up. But it's on the pages of scripture. He doesn't just give his spotless life to his heavenly father. He gives it to you and I. That's an astonishing truth. So that in the great teaching of justification and this is mind blowing stuff the great teaching of justification and it's God's teaching that in the eyes of a holy God those who have fled to Jesus as saviour are as holy in the eyes of God as Jesus was himself isn't that astonishing isn't that astonishing but it's not that he lives a life of obedience only. Not only did he do that, the second thing was this, he pays the price of sin. And you think, why does he pay the price of sin if he's not a sinner? Because he gives us a spotless life. But that's only one side of the exchange. The other side of the exchange is this, we give to him the poverty and the horror and the ugliness of our sinful lives. And he pays the price. That's what Calvary is all about. Now you know when Moses was building uh, the tabernacle and eventually the tabernacle became the temple. Moses didn't sit down and think, well I think this place will be this size and this place will be that size. And there will be this kind of curtain here and there will be that kind of candlestick there. It wasn't like that. God told Moses. God gave him everything. God gave him a pattern for everything. And the earthly tabernacle and indeed the earthly temple reflected something in the heavenlies. In the third heaven. And in the third heaven, the dwelling place of God is in the holy of the holies. You know, it is astonishing that God ever dwelt, even in symbolic form, anywhere in this planet, considering what the planet is. I don't mean the planet itself, I mean the people who are in the planet. It's not the world that's wrong, it's the people that are in the world that are wrong. But he did, the Shekinah cloud dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies. And you remember that when Jesus was crucified, one of the astonishing, miraculous things that happened was this. The great, and the curtain between the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place was thicker than my fist. Uh, it was torn, not from the bottom to the top, as you would expect by people trying to tear it. I don't think they could have torn it anyway. It was torn from the top to the bottom, and the whole idea is this. God is tearing it open. What's he doing? He is giving access to the holy of holies, to sinful people. And today this Jesus is in the very holy of holies, 
Not the copy of it in a tabernacle or a temple, but the reality of it in heaven itself. And the question is this, what's he doing there? You know, in the holy of holies in heaven, there is something there today that throughout the endless ages of eternity, going back the way, wasn't there until 2,000 years ago. And that is the presence of a human being. And that human being is Jesus of Nazareth. And as far as I am aware, he is there even at this very moment in time with nail-pierced hands. And you think, well, what's that all about? And some might say this, that's to remind God. Well, there may be some mileage in that, but when you start thinking that God is omniscient, he knows everything, what on earth are we talking about when we're talking about reminding God? I think it's got more to do with this. We need to be reminded. We need a human being with nail-pierced hands in the presence of God and we need to know day after day after day that that's where he is. He has led a spotless life and he's paid the price of sin. What does that mean for you and I as believers? It means all is well with our souls in life and in death. And he is saying to them, I am going to prepare a place for you. I am going into the immediate presence. Now I know his body doesn't go into the immediate presence until after his resurrection 40 days later and the ascension. But after the ascension, there's a human being there with nail-pierced hands. And if that will not comfort the disciples, I don't know what will. And as you and I traverse this world, knowing for a certainty that we are going to go through the avenue of death, abiding the return of Christ to this world for a second time, I don't know what will give us comfort if this doesn't. But I must move on to to the third thing I was going to say a little bit about, and it's there in verse 4. I will go and prepare a place for you, or rather in verse 3, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Do you remember what I said last Lord's Day about how they ridiculed Jesus when he said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it again. And they all thought he was talking about the stones on the mortar that made up the temple in Jerusalem that took 46 years to build. And they laughed him to scorn and they said, you're going to build this that took 46 years to build in three days. And of course Jesus never meant anything of the kind. He meant his body, which was the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he said, you're going to destroy it. At least you think you're going to destroy it. But on the third day, I will rise again. How do we know he spoke the truth? 
Well, here's a litmus test. He said, I'm going to die and come alive again. The litmus test is this. Will he remain dead? Or will he come alive again? This world hasn't got over the fact of the truth of the resurrection. And I hope it never ever does. He came alive again. He conquered a death. And he interacted and he mingled with them for 40 days. And after 40 days at Bethany he ascends back up into heaven. And he's been gone now for two millennia. But the fulfillment of these words hasn't come to fruition yet. Because he will come back. You know today... The souls, our shorter catechism tells us that the souls of believers are not their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately enter into glory. The souls. But heaven isn't, and we look a little bit at this this evening, isn't just a soul experience. It's a body and soul experience. <coughs> the day will come when the graves shall be opened and there shall be not just a soul experience for those who believe in God and trust in Jesus there will be a body and soul experience these disciples to a man barring Judas Iscariot it will be body and soul in the immediate presence of Christ the King And I rather think it will be <clears throat> a body and soul experience whereby they will know one another. And we'll look at that a little this evening as well. There is enormous comfort in that. There is enormous comfort in that. Particularly for those who today are bereft. But ultimately we are all going to be bereft in one way or another. And that's why I wrap up this sermon with this one great plea. These were troubled people. And the major source of the trouble was Christ was leaving. He's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. But he's not just going to prepare a place for them. He will come again and he will receive them unto himself. You and I are not going to get through this world without troubles. It's where our troubles lead us that is so vitally important. And I hope our every last trouble leads us to this Jesus. Because the biggest trouble of all is this death will swallow us up. And a Christless death means that the second death will torture us endlessly in the great beyond but there is no need for that if there is someone who has gone to prepare a place and was promised that he will come again and receive us unto himself why oh why would we not embrace him with all the embracing we've got may God grant that that is the way it would be this day for each and every one of us Amen. Let's pray. O Lord our God, in amongst the events of life's journey,
but meet us day by day and in amongst the exploration of your word afresh this day we pray that you would give us the wisdom to flee to you as the only saviour of sinners and the only redeemer that we can find help in as we sing our parting song enable us say O Lord to sing it conscious of our fragility and vulnerability but conscious also that the wind may pass over us when we're gone and the place may know us no more forever but there is a God in his heaven that he has prepared for his people and may we rejoice and take great comfort in that Amen now let's conclude by singing to God's praise in Psalm number 103 and it's at verse 13 that's page 370 of the Psalter uh, such pity as a father hath unto his children dear like pity shows the Lord to such as worship him in fear. We'll sing verses 13 to 19 of Psalm 103, such pity as a father hath.
from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, rest on and abide with each one, both now and 